Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 66 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. I hope this episode finds you well, and I thank you for giving me some of your time today. If you're listening to this episode the day it comes out, then the first day of fall was two days ago, and therein lies the theme for today. We're falling into phrases that have something to do with fall slash autumn in some way. So before all the leaves hit the ground, let's explore today's phrases, origins, history, and more. Let's begin with the season itself. Some call it autumn, others call it fall. Is one more correct than the other? These days, no. They're both considered to be grammatically correct. So go ahead and say whichever one you prefer. You're right either way. However, one of them is older than the other, so let's look at that. The modern form of autumn appears in the 16th century and comes from the old French word atome, which is from the 13th century. That comes from the Latin autumus, but the etymology gets rather ambiguous from there. Fall is actually an abbreviation, as it used to be said as fall of the year or fall of the leaf, which was shortened to the one word we still use today sometime in the 17th century. And even though autumn is older, it wasn't as popular until around the 18th century. So as for straight-up age, autumn wins, and for popularity age, fall wins. I guess it's a draw. But wait! There's more. Prior to the 16th century appearance of the modern-day autumn, this time of year was simply known as harvest, which makes sense, as many crops are harvested during this time of the year. But before you can harvest, you have to plant something. So now, let's reap what we sow. The metaphor, you reap what you sow, is pretty straightforward. It means that what you do, whether good or bad, will be done back to you. It's karma, a way to say that what goes around comes around. Its origin is also straightforward, as this is another phrase that can be first found in the Bible. The book of Galatians is thought to have been written sometime between the year 40 and 60 AD, and in chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, we find the following. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. There really wasn't anything else I could find out about this one, since its origin and first use in print are technically one and the same. But, since you can't harvest without sowing, it seemed a good place to start. So now, let's harvest. A harvest moon is simply the full moon closest to the autumn equinox. We've discussed equinoxes briefly before, in episodes 28 and 39, 
But as a reminder, this is the time of the year when the equatorial plane is directly in line with the sun, which causes the length of day and night to be equal. This happens twice a year, in spring and in fall. Okay, so why is this particular full moon called the harvest moon? The why can be found in when the harvest moon rises. On average, most of the time, the moon is rising about 50 minutes later every day. Around the autumn equinox, however, it's only about a 30-minute difference. But the harvest moon, the full moon closest to the equinox, rises right at sunset and continues to rise near sunset for several nights. This gave farmers in old-timey times much more light for a longer time to harvest by, right at the time when most crops needed to be harvested. Ergo, it became known as the harvest moon. We know folks have been using this term since at least the 18th century, because we find it in a poem from that year. English poet Isaac Watts published The Celebrated Victory of the Poles in 1706, and it included, quote, Where flows the fruitful Danube? Seventy springs smiled on his seed, seventy harvest moons filled his wide granaries with autumnal joy. End quote. Now, let's change gears a bit and fall down. The phrase, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, means that the more powerful someone is, the more they have to lose. The idea behind this phrase has been traced back to the biblical story of David and Goliath. The battle is thought to have happened around 1025 BC, and it can be read about in 1 Samuel, which was written around 930 BC. You've likely heard the story, but just in case, basically a big scary dude was scaring all the soldiers and a small shepherd boy took on the challenge of fighting him. He used a sling to hit him in the forehead with a rock. The blow knocked the giant over, allowing David to go over and use Goliath's own sword to, um, well, hopefully I can say this in a somewhat non-violent way for the tiny toppers, he removed Goliath's head from his shoulders. Whether you believe in the Bible or not, the idea that a rock thrown by a sling could knock someone out isn't far-fetched. Experienced slingers are amazingly accurate, and projectiles can be flung at at least 60 miles per hour. So, yeah, that would hurt. Anyway, if we move from the Bible to boxing, we can find out how this idea became an idiom. Well, actually, we need to stop off in old-timey times Rome first. Many people do attribute this one to a boxer, but Claudius Claudanius, the Roman poet, got there first. Now, I couldn't find an exact date for this poem, but Claudius lived from 370 AD to 404 AD, so it had to be written during that time frame. The poem was called Ruffian, and this is a translation of one line. Quote, Men are raised on high in order that they may fall more heavily. End quote. Now we can discuss the boxer. According to the Oxford Dictionary of Proverbs, the 6th edition published in 2015, the modern-day version of this idiom came from Robert James Fitzsimmons. He was a professional boxer and made history in the boxing world as the first person to win three division world championships. He definitely made this one more popular, but according to some people, he wasn't really the first one to say it. Some folks think the first boxer to use this phrase was Joe Walcott, 
the 1901-1904 welterweight champion of the world. He was born in Guyana, spent some time in Barbados as a child, and made his way to Boston around 1887. He was shorter than most of his opponents, and yet was well known for his stamina and durability, and was able to take out much larger opponents. Both Walcott and Fitzsimmons are touted as the phrase's originator, and honestly, since they were both boxing around the same time in the late 19th century and early 20th century, we'll probably never really know who first uttered it. So with that, let's butter some bread. Okay. I know this is a bit of a stretch to fit into this theme, but as I was looking for phrases for this episode, I kept seeing references to the buttered toast phenomenon, otherwise known as why does bread always seem to fall buttered side down? And since it has the word fall in it, I figured, what the heck, it can go in our fall episode. So what does it mean? Well, the bread always falls buttered side down is a way to express a pessimistic view or to describe bad luck. We know people have been equating buttered bread with bad luck since at least the early 19th century, because we find a reference to this idea in writing in 1832. It was in the science journal Knowledge for the People, which was published in Boston by John Timms, an English author and antiquary. It said, quote, We may here notice a remarkable Latin superstition, that if a child's slice of bread and butter be let fall with the buttered side downwards, it's an unlucky omen. If with the other side, lucky. End quote. This implies that the belief had already been around for a while, since it was already an established superstition. A few years later, we find this idea shared again in the Knickerbocker, a literary magazine from New York City. It was founded by Charles Fenno Hoffman, an American author, poet, and editor, and in an 1835 edition, we find the following quote, I never had a slice of bread, particularly large and wide, that did not fall upon the floor, and always on the buttered side. End quote. The fact of the matter is that bread can most definitely fall on either the buttered side or the non-buttered side but I think we can all agree that it's worse when it does indeed fall butter-side down. I guess we should all hold onto our toast a little tighter as we watch the leaves changing colors outside. Now, let's hear today's familiar quotation. Topper's today's familiar quotation is from Doug Larson. Here's what he had to say about fall. Quote, Autumn is a season followed immediately by looking forward to spring. End quote. As someone who hates the cold, I can't agree more. Thank you, Mr. Larson, for giving us today's familiar quotation. All right, toppers, it's time for today's For Better or For Words. Love advice from old-timey times. Just a quick disclaimer, remember that this advice is over a hundred years old. While some of the advice is still good today, I don't necessarily agree with every tip I read from these books. It's for entertainment purposes only. With that out of the way, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't put on airs with your husband. If you can't be natural with him, 
you shouldn't have married him. And now for the men. Don't make a fuss when your wife has unattached women friends to be seen home at night. I have seen men on these occasions look at their slippers and fuss about changing into walking shoes, and look out to see whether it rains, etc., until I should certainly have gone off alone had I been the guest to be escorted. Alright toppers, that's going to do it for episode 66. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnofphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, how to send me topic suggestions, how to support the podcast, and for details about the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. If you want bonus stuff, check out my Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers. May your fall be full of beautiful colors. Toodaloo! And now... This is... Let me rephrase. That came from the Latin atomus. Atomus. Uh, Atomus. Atomus. I shouldn't try to speak Latin in the morning. I shouldn't try to speak Latin at any time, but (laughs) here we are. But before you can harvest, you have to plant. Dragnabbit, what is clicking? For whatever... Nope. We've discussed equinoxes briefly before, in episodes 28 and 39. I don't know what that noise was. Dying. But as a reminder, this is the time of the year when the... This is the time of the day each year when the equ... Nope, 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 nope. But as a reminder, this is the time of the year when the equatorial plane, equatorial, it's equatorial, not equatorial, get it right, with autumnal joy, with autumnal, 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 it's autumn, oh, autumnal. But Claudius lived from 370 to 304, nope, 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 and was able to take out much longer. Longer opponent? <laughs> I guess that's a way to say taller. Because we find reference to an I nope. Published by nope. In the science journal Knowledge for the People, published in Boston by John Timms, an English Arthur. Dang it, that word.